Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Well, welcome back. Pastor Tyler here. Good to see everybody. Uh, I guess I got a new countdown clock in the back for 30 minutes. It's kind of like I preached 55 minutes or something last week. Rumor got out. Thank you for the countdown clock. I didn't even know we were doing that, to be honest. It's subtle, but super obvious. I get it. Okay. Uh, if you're brand new, I'm Tyler. I'm the pastor here. And uh, 10 weeks ago, well, about 12, 13 weeks ago, we started a series titled The Making of a Great Disciple. The Making of a Great Disciple. And, and we posed this question. What kind of church would we be if we made disciples that didn't love and didn't serve? And, and I used the car illustration. I'm going to use it uh, in the end, just like I used in the beginning. The illustration I use is, what kind of car maker would I be if I made cars without wheels and cars without headlights or cars without brakes? There would be a lot of car wrecks. Can we agree on that? Yes? Well, what kind of church would we be if we made Christians with no love or Christians with no forgiveness? It, it, would, it, would, be, it would be a terrible church to be in. Uh, we, we would be having a lot of wreckage in, in the house. And so uh, the purpose of this series was we wanted to make great disciples so we could make a great church. I don't want to be part of an okay church. Yeah, I don't want to be part of just a, a mediocre church. Blech, you know, I don't want to be part of a religious church. Get me out of here real quick, please. I want to be part of a great church. I want to be part of a church where people love God and love people. That forgiveness is in their tool belt. That that that, that reconciliation is in their tool belt. That truth is in their tool belt. And that only happens by teaching disciples. And so, uh, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to title my last message in this series titled. Masterclass, masterclass. I call this one masterclass. Now, uh, anybody sign up for any of the masterclasses online, like how to cook or how to play Texas Hold'em or how to become an NBA basketball player? Anybody? Okay, yeah. So if you don't know about masterclass, it's this uh, new thing that they basically uh, charge you money monthly, and they'll take somebody who's the best of the best or one of the best, and you'll sign up to watch online, and they'll teach you how to be the best. So Steph Curry, I think, does one on dribbling. Um, Daniel Negreanu does one on Texas Hold'em. How do I know that one? I haven't signed up, but I'm thinking about it go to your friend's house, I'm going to take your money. Um, uh, they have other people uh, that teach you other things, uh, economics, you name it. It's the master class in that. Well, well, I believe in this scripture, it's in Matthew 12, it's a, it's a, it's a short story, I'm going to read a little bit of it. Uh, Jesus gives us a master class on how to do church, on how to be the church, on how to be real disciples. He is the great teacher and we are his students. And, and if you want the master class of all master classes on how to live life, I believe Jesus is three years on this earth. He gives us a peek into really how to live life the way we're called to live. You want to go to master class today? Yeah. Come on, I'm going to pray. God, I thank you so much for what you're doing at Mission Church. and uh, God, we love you. Oh, we love you so much. And as we go into this message, Lord, I pray that our eyes would be open to your goodness. Lord, that our eyes would be open to your promises. Uh, Lord, I, I really believe this, that God, when we say yes to you, we say no to all the things that have been destroying us. So God, I pray there's a, a big yes in our heart today to you. Oh, Lord, we love you. We love you. May my words fall to the floor and your words soar. And everybody said? If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 12. Matthew 12. We're going to go to a little story about Jesus healing a man's hand in the synagogue. In the synagogue. Uh, glog. Uh, here's what it says. Uh, Matthew 12. Then Jesus went over to their synagogue. Stop. Right there, I just, that, that verse haunts me. He went over to their synagogue. Not his. Their synagogue. May this never be our church. It may always be his church. And may Jesus not say, I got to go to their church. May he say, I want to go to my church. Uh, Mission Church is my church. And may Jesus see that. May he look down and say, oh, they know I'm, I'm, a, I'm the head of the body. They know, like it says in Colossians, that I'm the head of the church. Just to give you a heads up, I'm the senior pastor, but all that means is that I'm a steward, that I'm just trying to take care of what God entrusted to me, and I know that I'm accountable for the souls of people on how I navigate my life. Woo! Okay, let's keep going. Um, 
So he goes, he went over to their synagogue where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping he would say yes so they could bring charges against him. And he answered, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. He uses very logical stuff right here to point out the hypocrisy. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. Stop. When we make churches, here's what's happened. The, the, the Pharisees are making church about right and wrong. Ooh, you start making church about right and wrong, yuck, that's a bad church. If you're a disciple about right and wrong, it's gonna be over. Jesus never talks about right and wrong. He always talks about good, and he also talks about life and death. Great leaders ask great questions. Don't come to church and say, what are they doing right and wrong? Just ask, man, is life happening here? Is, is good happening here? Jesus is talking about, talking about right and wrong. He's talking about good. And, and I want you to hear something real quick. Uh, the Sabbath is fascinating to me because it's unbelievably important to the Jewish people. Uh, if you actually look at history, uh, when I was studying this, William Barclay unpacks basically just the um, importance of the Sabbath to the Jewish people. They would lose wars over the Sabbath. Pompey came into Jerusalem and they were building this mound of dirt to climb over the, 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 um, the wall basically. And on the Sabbath day, the Jewish people took a break during war. We're not gonna fight you. Pompey's like, fine, we're gonna just keep fighting. And so they build the mound and the Jewish people just stand there and they allow them to be taken over. And, and it's fascinating to me that when you get really religious and you get stuck in your ways, you lose battles you never should have lost. You, you lose people you never should have lost. You lose cities you never should have lost. Because when you make it about right and wrong and you take uh, this preference and put it in front of the things of God and the things of life and death, because here's the reality. The man's hand, they're saying, it's, he's not life and death. His, his hand, it's not, it's not holding him back. Now, I get away on the Sabbath that if my, if my sheep's in a ditch, he could die. So we save people who are gonna mortally die, but we don't save people who just have a hand problem. And Jesus said, oh, you don't know, but I said in John 10, 10, that I came to give life and life abundantly. I'm not here to have people just struggle through life. I wanna give them a full life. But religion doesn't wanna give full life. Religion wants to give rules. And so, so Jesus comes on the scene and he's given this master class on just really how to do church, and how to come to church. So he goes on to say, he says, uh, then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was a sword just like the other one. I love this. This is, this is Jesus taking the Pharisees to school. If you've ever played anybody in basketball that's terrible, you take them to school. Uh, if somebody is a master at something, they just take you to school. Well, Jesus is going to their synagogue and says, I'm going to take you to school and show you how church should be done. And so what he does is he finds the most broken person in the room, and he does something that hurts religion but helps people. May we hurt religion and help people. Does that sound good? Let's keep going. Then Demas, uh, uh, so it goes on to say, basically, then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. Goo. All right, uh, so a man's hand gets healed. I, I wrote this quote down real quick. If you want to make people happy, sell ice cream. If you don't want to make people happy, be a leader. I'm just going to be honest. It's, it's fascinating to me as I've passed through the church now for two and a half years. If my goal is to make you happy, I'm dipped. If we want to make you happy, we might as well just get out free ice cream. I might as well tell you one little fun poem and have you be on your way. But man, if I want to change the world, I better be ready to ruffle some feathers, get some religious people mad at me, get some, get some uh, um, righteous people, self-righteous people mad at me, get some people who have no grace mad at me. Oh, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. You may, you may not go plot and kill me, but you may talk a little bit of trash about me. I'm ready for it. Are you ready for people to talk trash about you? Some of you are. You're like, oh, I didn't sign up for that. Where the ice cream at? I want to be ice cream sale. Okay. He goes on to talk about, in this whole Matthew 12, you'll, you'll see a, a ton of different things happen. He goes on, he heals another man, and then they, they, wanna, uh, uh, they wanna kill him. And he calls him this word right here. He calls you brood of snakes. You brood of snakes. It's in Matthew 12, 34. It's at the very end, you brood of snakes. And I want you to think of that real quick, that the, 
creator of the world, the savior of the universe, told the Pharisees who were the best people on the planet, you brood of snakes. It's translated, you son of the devil. It literally is called snake bastards if I want to really get really uh, like grammatically correct in the Greek. It's one of the worst things you could ever be called. And I don't know about you, but the Pharisees didn't get into it to be a snake bastard. I don't think anybody gets into church to become the religious one. I don't think anybody gets into church to play for the other team. And what I want to do is I want to look at uh, four points real quick. Jesus showed us how to do church. He wants to take me to class and show us how to do church. We're going to talk about that. Second point is um, he shows us how to come to church. Third thing he tells us, he shows us how to respond in church. And last but not least, he shows us how to end church. It's the whole shmuel and deal. It's the whole thing right there in Matthew 12. Let's look at it, okay? So how, uh, how should we do church? How should we do church? Now, the fascinating part to me is he says that he noticed a man with a withered hand. So stop real quick. Let's, let's think about this. We need to train our eyes to look for people with withered hands. Now, in this culture, you need to understand something. The guy's not going to be walking in the synagogue like this. I got a withered hand. Look at me. Yes. You know, he's not going to do that. First of all, you can't move a withered hand. He, uh, what he would do in that culture is he'd have his robe and he would hide his withered hand. Culturally, you wouldn't want to show that off. It's a weakness. Some people would actually say you have a withered hand because of sin. And so you, you get trained to hide your withered hand. You get trained to show your strong hand and, and keep your weak hand in the back. And so Jesus comes to church and his eyes are trained to find the broken ones. And what he's saying to do church is you better be a doctor's assistant when you come to church. You better be ready to assist the doctor and train your eyes to see the broken ones. I've been to uh, different churches and I'll be honest, um, uh, we'll leave church and uh, we'll go visit churches and I've been at churches and I'll bring a team and the team's like, did you just see who was at church today? I was like, who was it? Chris Pratt was at church where we were. And I was like, I did not see Chris Pratt. Like, you didn't see, how did you not see him? Weren't you looking for him? We're in LA, you look for stars in LA. No, I was worshiping, my bad. You know? <laughs> but next time I'm worshiping, I'll look for Chris Pratt. You know? uh, and then we've been at other ones, even conference, I'm like, did you see you were sitting right behind Justin Bieber? And I was like, hey, I saw that one. Actually, I did, I did, I saw that one. That's a lot harder because when I was worshiping, I could actually see his hand and I was like, oh my gosh, that's Justin Bieber. Um, so, so I'm not gonna say I don't always see him, but it, it's fascinating to me that when we go to LA and LA churches, my friends will literally be trained to look for famous people. We come to church and I don't know what your eyes train for, but the body says that physical training is good, but, but, but godly training is, is really where we're supposed to go. And godly training, we always say, what, what does that look like? Godly training is being like Jesus. And so when you walk into the house, one of the things that we have to do when we come to church is we gotta train our eyes differently. That when you, isn't it funny that we've trained ourselves to come to church like a consumer? Our eyes are so trained. Did I, did I like the songs? I like the second one, not so much. The third one is good. First one is solid. What are you doing with your eyes right now? You know, you come in and you say, did anybody say hi to me? They didn't say hi enough or they did. Oh, where are your eyes right now? But what if, if you are a believer in Jesus, you've been following Christ, you wanna be a great disciple, you better come as a doctor's assistant. I was golfing with a gentleman uh, this past week and he pastored church for 20 plus years and the title of his church was The Healing Place. The Healing Place in Louisiana. He was an Italian man, his wife's a Cajun. He's a very fiery dude and, and he told me the name of his church, Healing Place. I'm gonna be honest first. I was like, that is a really Christian-y, churchy word. Like, where do you, I go to the healing place, you know? And hung out with him for a few days and he started telling me about Louisiana. And his church went from zero to 10,000 plus in Louisiana. And he said, there's just so many broken people in Louisiana. There was a lot of broken Catholics that the Catholics uh, that just got really religious broke the people that wanted to live for Jesus, but they just got broken by the Catholic religion. And he said, there's other people that are just broken by poverty. And so we got to Louisiana, he said, man, like, there's just so much brokenness. I think I need to name my church the healing place. And if I could be honest, I, I, I got done with the weekend. I started thinking to myself, I was like, man, like, 
I love the name Healing Place. I wish I would have named our church maybe Mission Church Healing Place. And, and I, I love the name. I was like, that's the best name I've ever heard of. And, and the reason why I started really loving the name, I was like, man, like, I literally started thinking of churches that I've been to and even around our area. And I, I, if I'm being honest, when people hear our name, they don't even hear the name. They actually hear something else. When you say church name, they say here of, that's a self-righteous place, not the healing place. That's the preference place. They got a preference there and they do it only this way. That's the preference place. And, and if I'm being real, Jesus came to the synagogue and it was not the healing place. It was the religious place. And, and when people hear the church, Mission Church, man, may they hear, oh, that's where I got healed. That's where my marriage got restored. That's where my, my brokenness got, got touched because there's a place where I didn't have to hold my, 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 my weak side on the back and show them only my strong side. I could show them both and people were ready to, to see it. Can I, can I tell you something real quick? There's something fascinating about people who are broken. It's very hard to go to the hospital on your own. I'll never forget this. I, I was having my anaphylactic shock. I was about to die from anaphylactic shock from eating chicken. And I asked my buddy Drew to drive me to the ER. But we had paid for these dunk coops at this uh, sports complex. And Drew said he had 20 more minutes uh, and he didn't want to drive me. <laughs> and he said, drive yourself to the ER. And I said, Drew, my eyes are swollen shut. I can't see. I literally need somebody to drive me or else I'm going to die. And he's like, fine. He wasn't saved yet, so let's give him a little bit of grace. Uh, I remember getting driven to the ER and Drew grabbing my arm and walking me in and all of the uh, nurses grabbing me and throwing me in there. I didn't have to check in. They saw somebody that was purple that was about to die. They were trained physicians. Drew was not a trained physician. <laughs> he thought I was being dramatic. Now, now, can I tell you something real quick? At church, train your eye for people that always show you their strong side. Yeah. Why are you always talking about everything you're good at? How you doing though? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm mighty man of God. I'm doing great. Love my wife. Love my kids. Tithe. I go to church every Sunday. I'm in my Bible study. You know, just doing everything I'm supposed to. Take care now. What's going on, man? But to be able to see somebody's weak side, you got to get to know them. You got to ha actually have an eye for it, and then you got to have a stomach for it. You got to have a stomach for it. Can you imagine a doctor walking into an operating room and being like, gross. What's wrong with your arm? Sorry, doctor, can you Can you imagine a doctor doing that? I can't imagine that. But then, could you imagine a, we've all experienced, have you ever been at a restaurant where a server is acting inconvenienced when you're ordering? I'll have the, what? And they'll be like, I'll take a, um, a salmon, okay, and then they move on. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not done. I, I also like to drink a beverage. Could I get a soda? Okay, fine, a soda. I'm like, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to ask you for a soda. I mean, what kind of restaurant is that? No, no, let me ask you this. What kind of church is it if we're inconvenienced by sinners? What, what kind of church is it if we, if we make the ones that come and we say, sorry, we don't heal on this day. Sorry, out of service today. We don't do good today. It's not about life today. It's not about death today. It's about religion today. And, and, and really what is happening is Jesus saying, man, I want to give you a masterclass on church. It has to be the healing place. It has to be the place where broken people come and they know they can be saved. They know they can be redeemed. If you're somebody watching right now, I want to say something real quick. If you are the chief of sinners right now and you feel like that your sin's too big for God to redeem, mm -mm. at Mission Church, you are welcome here. You, you can bring your mess here. We're not grossed out by your mess. We're not grossed out by your sin. No, I, I, I want you to know something. I am confident, I am positive that Mission Church is for the chief of sinners because I'm one of them. Oh, we, we know it. You're just one of us. Welcome, you're one of us. <laughs> You'll fit right in. We all got some junk. Let's talk about it. First thing he teaches in this little thing in this masterclass, he teaches us that how we're supposed to do church, and it's simply this, that we should do church as physicians. Yeah. And, and I could 
teach for that for an hour, but my stopwatch that they started already says 14 minutes. Let's keep going. <laughs> let, me, let me finish with this real quick. Charles Spurgeon says this, if we were to tell a wise physician of a town where nobody was sick, but everybody enjoyed perfect health, he would not settle there unless he wished to retire from his practice. Sometimes people go, why isn't Jesus moving the church? You know, sick people. AKA, we don't allow the sick people to come in. Jesus doesn't come to heal religious people. Do you notice he noticed the sick person? I love that the, the author, the Holy Spirit, illuminates the broken man. Not the righteous man, not the rich man in the synagogue. There was rich people there. It's the broken man. Oh, Lord, may you see Mission Church and may you settle here and actually have your practice here. Does that sound good? Second point is this, he shows us how to come to church. He shows us how to come to church. Matthew 23, 27 to 20, I wanna read you a verse, kind of piggybacks on this, it says this, woe to you teachers of the law and you Pharisees. Oof, again, masterclass, don't ever be the teacher with Jesus, always be the student, okay? But they look, he even says, oh, you think you're the teacher? You think you're the master? He goes, you hypocrites, you are like uh, uh, whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You know what I hear there? He's saying this, you think you're the doctors and the law is the cure. Oh, you was way off. He goes, you're the patient and I'm the doctor. Can I tell you something real quick? If you come to church always thinking you're the doctor, not the patient, you're in trouble. I got some bonus content real quick for you. I just wrote this down, this is bonus content. This isn't even my message, but I literally highlighted in green, bonus statement, okay? Here we go. <laughs> bonus statement says this. Some of you are never doctor's assistants and always a patient. Another thing is that, and some of you are never a patient, you're always a doctor's assistant. It's not healthy to be only one. Jesus says, here's how you come to church. You should come to church as the doctor's assistant. Okay, God, who are we gonna heal today? Who are we gonna reconcile today? Who's gonna get saved today? I'm ready, God. My eyes are trained. I'm looking, I'm looking. And then you start worshiping, and you're like, God, I need healed today. I'm the patient. I, I, again, I want you to notice me today in church. I'm the broken one with the withered hand. Church isn't for you if you don't think you don't have a withered hand. Uh, can, I, can I say it this way? Uh, if you don't see yourself as the blind beggar crying out, son of David, have mercy on me, you don't need church. But there's something about the Christian that comes to church, because he's given a master class, he goes, let me teach you about the master class church. The one that comes to church with his withered hand, with his crying out, he's gonna get my attention. There's something about a church that comes as patience to the great healer. That says, son of David, have mercy on me. I'm still sick, I'm still messed up. I, I wanna be over this sin, but I'm not over this sin. I wanna be past this, but I'm not past this. Because here's what happens. Instead of dealing with yourself as a patient, you just really master yourself as a great doctor. And he's saying to the Pharisees, you think you're cured because you're so good at being a good doctor? You are so dead inside. You're playing for the other team. I don't, let me put it this way. So he calls them you son of the devils, basically. You brood of vipers. He calls them whitewashed tombs. When I was a little kid, we played in, the, um, uh, in these little like rec leagues. And rec league teams are the worst teams to be on. I'm just gonna be honest, okay? Rec league teams are like for everybody to get a medal and a participant thing. And so when you're younger, those are the kind of leagues you get signed up for. And so you like, you could have five of your friends and then other five kids, parents just sign them up and they put them on there and the kids never touch a basketball. And then I'm competitive. I'm like eight years old, I'm competitive and I wanna win games. And I remember these new five kids hadn't met them and they'd never played hoops. And we played the first game. And one of the kids rebounds the ball and instead of going in on offense, he just takes the ball and puts it in the other team's basket. And I'm eight, and I literally scream at the kid, what are you doing? I don't get mad a lot, but if you've ever seen me play games, it's the only time I kind of get a little, I've never, I've never yelled in our marriage, but I've yelled in Monopoly, okay? Okay, 
I've never yelled in marriage, but I yelled in Catan, okay? Like, this is, this is my life, okay? Um, I've never yelled in marriage, but I've yelled in Fishbowl, okay? Um, and so my, my parents were like, what's, what's going on with you? I was like, I was like he's on my team, and he's working for the other, other team scoring baskets? Get this kid off the team, you know? And my mom like, later had to sit me down. I'm eight years old. She's like, you guys didn't lose just because of that. You were part of the loss. You are part of the team. It wasn't his fault. He shouldn't have done it, but it wasn't his fault. You got to be nicer to him and help him. And I remember being like, okay, okay, okay. And to be honest, it, the kid just didn't get it. So I remember telling my parents, like, I don't want to play in this league anymore. And they signed me up for this thing called AAU. And AAU is where you have kids who take things seriously. You're practicing five days a week. Basketball becomes an idol in your life. You worship it. You pray to be great at it. It's not okay, but that's really what happens in sports. It became an idol. But everybody on the team, man, they, were, they would get at me sometimes. Tyler, box out! I'd be like, okay, 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 you know? I mean, like, we, we wanted to win. You didn't want, you didn't. It was life and death to me, basketball at the time. Now, Jesus comes to these guys, and catch this real quick. He's saying to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers. Kind of validated me yelling at that kid, to be honest. Because he's like, you're making baskets for the other team. You're working for Satan. You're advancing the kingdom of darkness when you're that religious. When you put that yoke on these people, you're not on my team anymore. When you come as this whitewashed tomb and you make church all religious and you come as this Pharisee in robes and you pray these glorious prayers, you're not working for me. You're scoring baskets on the other end. You whitewashed tombs, you're so dead inside, it grosses me out. And so he said, I want to make a great team. I'm starting my own AU team. Peter, John, Judas, going to get cut later, but come on. We're starting an AU team. And we're going to be awesome at this thing. We're not going to be scoring baskets. We're, you're going to understand that you, you need a healer, that you're a patient, and I'm going to heal you, and I'm going to love you, and I'm going to redeem you. And then you're going to go heal and redeem and love. You're going to make baskets for the right team. Uh, it's hard building the house with people who are making baskets for the wrong team. People who gossip about others at church, you're scoring baskets for the other team, just give it up. People who are really critical of the church, you're making baskets for the other team. Those who are really religious and self-righteous in the church, you're not making baskets for the kingdom. You're making baskets for somebody else. Oh, man, I want us to come to church as patient. I wrote this down, and I hope this resonates with you. If you come to church on a Sunday and you don't have something that needs to be healed or worked on, you're missing out while you're coming to church. I'm coming to church every week needy, every week. And if you're not needy, you're starting to become a Pharisee. I, I, I was writing down the, my thoughts and, and of course looking at the scripture and I said, man, like, Lord, the ones that got your attention were the needy ones. Not in the bad needy ones, but just the ones that said, Lord, I come as a patient today. I'm gonna cry out to you during worship. I love desperate Christians. I'll be honest, desperate Christians are the dangerous ones in the house. They're the ones that you, they worship different. They pray different. They respond different. You can say to a, to a desperate Christian that had a hard week, you can say, Jesus got a plan for you. And they're like, oh my gosh, Jesus got a plan for me. They're ready for the word of God. Third thing he shows us, he shows us how we should respond in church, how we should respond in church. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored just like the other one. Now you gotta understand this. Whenever we read a story, we always just think it's like, hold out your hand and the guy's like, this is a big deal right here. First of all, it's an impossible ask because the, the theologians, the scholars say that his withered hand actually cannot move like it's an, move your hand. Ha <laughs> ha, very funny, Jesus. 
Like literally, it'd be like, like he couldn't move his hand. It'd be like one of those things where he couldn't lift it up. He's asking him to stretch out his hand. You can't stretch a withered hand. He's saying stretch. So it's an impossible question, an impossible ask. It's a faith thing. So come walk on water with me. I'm gonna say something that's gonna ruffle a little feathers, but I hope it's okay with you. Uh, I've been pastoring now, 38 years old, 17 years, something like that. And I meet a lot of Christians that actually don't wanna be saved. And what I mean by that is, of course they wanna be saved from hell to heaven, like a criminal who gets arrested that wants to be saved from prison, but they don't wanna be saved from their selfishness. Show me a Christian that says, oh, save me from my drunkenness. Show me a Christian that says, save me from my lust. Save me from my pleasure seeking. Save me from my comfort. No, you won't hear those things on a Sunday. You won't hear, Christian. I just, I wanna be saved from my just, I'm a liar and I wanna be saved to truth. Oh, I'm a comfort seeker, but I wanna, I wanna be saved to an adventure to live for God. Oh, you don't hear that salvation kind of prayer all the time. And what, what the withered man's showing us, the master class of church is simply this. God's gonna ask you to give up impossible things that you can't pray right now. God's, I think it's impossible for me to get over this sin. Save me from this sin. And God's gonna say, I can, I can, I can save you from it. Do you trust me? So, some of you in the house, I wanna hear this real quick. You need to start praying to get saved again. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about sanctification saved. Oh, there, there's something to be said about the Christian that says, save me from this. I, I wrote down a handful and I said, saved from the comforts of this world. Find me the drunkard who wants to be saved from drunkenness. Find me the selfish person who wants to be saved from self-centeredness. Find me the habitual liar who longs to speak truth. Find me the gossip who longs to speak life instead of death. Oh man, we have a church that prays for those kind of things. Those are withered hand kind of prayers. This is my withered hand part, Lord. For some reason, I just show my strong side, but I never show my weak side. Oh, I, always, I don't show, show me the greedy person who says, save me from my greediness so I can just give more money, Lord. You don't hear that prayer a lot. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up and he ends with this, four minutes and 11 seconds, in your face, timer. <laughs> Last point's about 30 minutes though, so buckle up. <laughs> Kidding. So he shows us how to do church shows us how to come to church. He shows us how to respond in church. And now he's gonna show us how to end church. And I, I love this moment in this masterclass. I wanna read you a verse in Ezekiel 36, 26 because I wanna kind of put a, I wanna put a picture to the withered hand, really what it is. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, says this in Ezekiel 36, 26. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I wanna read the verse to you again in Matthew 12, 13. I, just, I haven't been able to leave it all week. I even talked to our staff, I just in a whole different bent. We talked about being a winner basically with it, a whole different bent, but he said to the man, hold out your hand. Here's how you in church. This is the faith moment of church. This is the impossible moment of church. I just told you in the last point that it was impossible for the man to lift his hand and stretch it. And throughout scripture, you'll see church be done this way a good amount of times. You'll see Paul when he's in the prison cell and the prison guard, as the cell is shaking and the things are opening and he's crying out and Paul hears him and the man says, how should I be saved? How can I be saved? Pause there real quick. Jesus could have said to the man with the withered hand, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your hand. I want you to bring the priest and make it ceremonially uh, ready. He could have said to the man with the hand, I want you to take your left hand. I want you to rub it. He could have said to the man with his hand, I want you to go clean your hand first. He simply said, reach your hand out, the impossible thing, and let me do the impossible. 
And Paul could have said to the prison guard, when the prison guard goes, what do I do to be saved? And Paul simply says to the man, he doesn't say, hey, first I need you to do this and this and this, and then you can be saved. He says, okay, we should go to my house, have a Bible study and pray. First you need to put this new thing on, and then you can be saved. He just simply says this, and this is the withered hand statement. Believe that God saved you and you will be saved. And it just, you're like, that's just too simple of a statement. And this is the gospel. This is church at its highest form. At the end of church, we ask for the impossible. Dead men come to life. Dead women come to life. Dead marriages come to life. Dead, uh, dead relationships come to life. The things that are stale, oh, come to life. It's the faith moment. It's when we come to church at the very end, you say, God, because here's the deal. The man with the withered hand, he'd been coming to the synagogue. He didn't know today was his day, but today was his day. And maybe today's your day. Maybe today's your day at home. God, you, you say at the end of church that if I believe, it's a, this is faith. The gospel is, comes with faith, faith, nothing else, nothing more. If you don't believe that God can do it, then you don't know the gospel. There's nothing we do to earn it. It's just this amazing response that he brings dead things to life. If the Bible told me to take a handkerchief and go to a memorial cemetery and wave it over the cemetery and people would come out of the graves and be saved, I'd have to process that for a second because that's weird but I'd go do it and I'd wave that handkerchief and maybe the first night nobody came out of the graveyard I'd come again on the second night and the third night maybe on the fourth night I'd get a little more prayerful and say God give me faith because right now I'm just waving this handkerchief because you told me to wave this handkerchief and then by night five I, maybe I prayed a little bit more before I came and my faith was high and I pulled out my handkerchief and I didn't wave it because he just told me to. I waved it because I had faith that the one that said if, he, if I wave it, that he will heal the ones that are dead and raise them to life. What if I waved with faith instead of just wave just to wave? Because if I'm being honest, a lot of people just raise their hands to raise their hands. A lot of people just worship to worship. A lot of people just pray to pray. But what if I waved the handkerchief in faith and saying, God, you said to do it. All right, here I go. I believe you, God. I believe that dead things can come to life. And watching dead things come to life would be an amazing sight. And the only thing that changed was not because I was waving, it was my heart. It was faith in my soul. Man, you don't worship just to worship. You gotta worship with faith. You just don't raise your hands to raise it. You raise them in faith. You don't bring your brokenness just to bring your brokenness. You bring it in faith. And you believe that God can do something bigger than you. Oh man, I wanna have a masterclass kind of church. I wanna have a great church. I want people to come to church and, and say, I got healed there. I want people to come to church and say, I'm a doctor's assistant there. I want people to say, they come to church, they're a patient here. We're all patients, we're all doctor's assistants. But last, not last but not least, I want people to come here with big faith every Sunday. Every week when they wake up just with big faith. Will you bow your heads with me? God, I thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. And God, we believe that if you said to proclaim the gospel and go make disciples, that's our handkerchief story. That the world is dead right now. That is our cemetery. If I could use that intensive a picture, that there are dead people walking that need to hear the gospel. And simply say, I said today to the crowd and to the screen, simply believe and you will be saved. Confess with your mouth that he is Lord and confess your sin and you will be saved. Oh, I believe that God is waving over the, the dead things of people's lives today and he's awakening things. He's bringing things back to life. If you want to say yes to Jesus, just like the jailer asked, I'm gonna ask you to do the impossible and believe the impossible, that God can save your life, that God can save you from your self-righteousness, that he can save you from your self-centeredness, that he can save you from your lust, he can save you from your greed, he can save you from your gossip. Oh, if you wanna say yes to that, type it in the chats, yes. 
If you said yes to Jesus today, let a pastor know, go on the website. God, I thank you for Mission Church. God, this will never be our synagogue. It will always be your house. Oh, Lord, we love you. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.